The Money Show. Business Unusual. With Colin Cullis. So, Colin Callis, we touched on this the other day, and it may as well have been an interview in hieroglyphics, and it was the move by Ethereum to merge. Now, this is no merger that I've ever heard of before. I was bored to tears and nearly cried out of my own inability to grasp the nettle of what they're trying to do. So I hope that you can do it in a less harmful and hurtful fashion. Over to you, because... I don't understand. I heard that interview, Bruce, and I felt I felt for you because I, I can see that this is one level on one level. It's like, why do you care? And on another level, what on earth was it? Uh, and for those who, well, let me start over here. The, the big the big one is that there's this Bitcoin and Ethereum, and some people don't necessarily make the distinction between the two. Bitcoin is sort of the old G, the, the, the original version that came along, a payment system, ostensibly, in uh, you know, decentralized, digitized currencies. Ethereum came out afterwards, had a component that would handle currency payments, etc., but was meant to be the smart contract thing. Both of them built on this idea of using a blockchain, uh, sort of a massive uh, ledger of transactions that unlike a regular bank where you have a trusted person that says, I will tell you that this person does have this amount of money and can afford to pay this thing or that transaction has been completed, you try and do it where nobody gets to control the network. Its value is effectively allowing it to run globally without anybody being able to censor things or limit uh, what you may or may not do, which is principally why it was created after the uh, big financial crisis, 2008, 2009. There was a belief that with people manipulating uh, certain markets, etc., regular people could be uh, be vulnerable to what people get up to. So that was the basis for why we wanted to create this decentralized blockchain. It's since grown, though, to become something hmm, a, a lot more hairy and, and a lot less fun for lots of people, where I'm tempted to say, for the most part, we've got a couple of years to go before it shows its true value. And in the interim, we're going through that horrible, messy bit, Wild West style, which has happened on every kind of new thing that's come along, whether it be social media, or, you know, the internet and, and all these other uh, sort of platforms and technologies that we use. In this particular case, though, uh, the need for the merge was because Ethereum used a method for validating transactions by having people solve a particular mathematical puzzle. Uh, and, the, and the way that that was done was these nodes would try and solve the problem. And if they did, they would be rewarded for having done so. And in doing so, confirm that the transactions in that particular block then could be added to the rest of transactions to say that it was true. They would require lots of people to try and do it at the same time. Uh, By having multiple people try and do it, you couldn't have a bad actor come in and say, well, I'm just going to make up that Bruce gave Colin all of his money, bang, and put it in the blockchain, and then your money's gone. So by having all those people compete, you effectively improve your chances of not having somebody do something wrong. Consider this as a hopeful, useful illustration. I could buy all of the tickets for the national lottery and I will guarantee that I will win the entire jackpot. But it'll be quite expensive paying the the money for each and every single lottery ticket because one other person would only have to buy one ticket. And if it happened to also be the winning ticket, they share all of that winnings with that other person. So that's kind of the logic that says if you have a lot of people do the same thing, then it's going to be very difficult for one person to control what actually happens. The catch was that a lot of people started doing it. And they started using up a lot of energy in order to uh, solve these problems, which because there were so many people doing it, the problems had to get harder and harder and harder because the way the blockchains work is you can't have people solve them too quickly. They need to take, in uh, Ethereum's case, uh, about 10, 20 seconds. uh, And for um, Bitcoin, it's about 10 minutes. And then you get a nice, uh, sizable reward for it. But of course, people were coming to it and and, and starting to uh, attempt it too frequently. And that proved to be a bit of a challenge. So there's the first 
uh, sort of bit that they saw that they had a problem with that. Ethereum themselves put out a sort of a listing of how much power is actually consumed doing this. They said they were using about 112 terawatt hours per year, which is absolute gobbledygook. Nobody has a clue what that actually means, myself included, and it took me a good 15 minutes to try and work out, how do I get that into something in my head around? Well, thankfully, the greater good crowd of South Africa worked out that South Africans use about uh, uh, 50 kilowatt hours per day, average household. Some more, some less. It's it's not on the low end of things. It's certainly more than I use. But that's what they said a typical house uses, 50 kilowatt hours per day. If I uh, increase that up to say, well, what is that a year? Then it's about 0.0001 terawatt hours per year, which means uh, effectively the Ethereum network prior to this merge was using the same as about 11 million South African homes worth of energy. What they were getting in return is somebody just saying that these transactions took place, something that our large banks in this country, Visa, MasterCard, kind of do for a whole lot less than that. So that was the reason why they said, listen, we've got to reduce that down. What they've got it back down to now is the amount of energy consumed by about a 1,000 homes. That's pretty good. Uh, by comparison, Bitcoin, which is not planning on changing it, uh, they're using somewhere in the order of 200 terawatt hours per year, which is still a staggering amount. Um, but then uh, if you have to compare that to gold mining, which they also put up there as a comparison, that's at about uh, 240 terawatt hours per year. So gold mining and Bitcoin mining uses almost the same amount of energy. The thing that made me uh, go, wow, uh, was that uh, the time we spend watching YouTube per year in electricity is about 244 terawatt hours per year. So that's where we really are spending a lot of our time looking at these things. So that is the real big plus about the merge. Now, Vitaly Butrin, who, who is the sort of founder of the, the Ethereum network, although he works with a huge group of developers and it's, it is properly decentralized. There's many other blockchains that are based off the same thing, uh, had come up with a couple of little terms that, that all align with this. So this is the first one, the merge, but there's also the verge and the surge and the purge and all these other names that they've got going for it, which in some respects make it sound a bit silly and other respects, uh, make a whole lot of sense. So the surge one uh, is to tackle the problem that Bit- uh, Ethereum has with how many transactions it can do. At the moment, um, the, the number of transactions uh, works out to, um, let me just have a look here quickly what the, what the number is, uh, about uh, 5,000 or so. They're looking to get that up to 100,000 a second. That would be quite impressive. Visa does about 25,000, can get up to 65,000. MasterCard, I was surprised to find out, is about 5,000. Uh, although Bitcoin, currently only on seven, is looking to get up to as much as a million. So this is the surge. This is where the, okay. the point of view. Okay. Lots surge. of people. To, to, that's the surge. Get a lot more of this stuff done. And again, when you can have that many transactions happen, then it actually becomes a useful thing if you want to do payments. One of the issues with Bitcoin and Ethereum and most of these other technologies uh, were that if you need to scale it up where we actually are using this, not everybody just wanting to buy the thing, hoping it's going to become worth a lot more, but actually using it for day-to-day payments, etc. you need to know that if you made a payment, the payment goes through and quickly uh, and doesn't cost you a whole lot to do so. So that's a, another one they're looking to do. The purge relates to just you know getting rid uh, of a lot of the... Um, uh, the extra code, et cetera, that they have. Uh, and in some respects, you know, this, this kind of relates to um, what Bitcoin and Ethereum and all of the other uh, blockchains that have been built around them can ultimately one day do. Uh, and it's kind of worth noting as well that in terms of fiat currency, this is the stuff that most, you know, South Africa has the rand, uh, UK has the pound. Those are all the fiat currencies. So sort of one per country is typically where it gets allocated. And for thousands of years, we've been doing this. We've got to about... You know, it's about two, just over 200 countries. So we've got about 200 currencies. There are over 10,000, according to Statista from uh, February this year, of these various blockchains. 
a lot of them. And when I say a lot, I mean probably in excess of 70 to 80% of them are nothing other than somebody just cloned one of those things, hoping to make a quick buck. Uh, and in the notions of what these things were originally founded as being as decentralized, not wanting to uh, try and create those assets. Well, let me remind those very same uh, crypto fans about how money started in the first place. 2,700 years ago um, was the first time that minted coins were made. It was a, a kingdom in modern-day Turkey. Because uh -huh. uh, prior to that, you would have actually bartered stuff, right? Uh, and when people hear about, you know, we bartered stuff, they remember that stuff. Well, that is the original non-fungible token because one chicken is not the same as the other. So when people talk to you about, I use NFTs and make it sound like they're very modern, actually, it's an ancient <laughs> idea using <laughs> NFTs for trade, etc. But of course, it's a, it's a mission walking around with a chicken. So we decided that wasn't so very good. Uh, and most of us figured, let's go for something that's kind of rare, but not so rare that it's hard to work with, but also not something that can easily be manipulated. Well, there is one exception. And um, for anybody who's not seen a rye stone, these are the good people who live on the Yap Islands in Micronesia. They decided to make these enormous round rocks with a hole in the middle. Nobody could move them around. That was the currency. You basically just left them out in front of your house. And the more of them you had, the richer you were and people would just do business with you. Uh, it didn't catch on, as you can correctly understand, much like very many of these uh, little cryptocurrencies that have been created. So uh, as much as they might uh, want to claim that this is all very new and, and stunning and modern, uh, it, it really isn't. It's been around for a long time. And another bit. Uh, for this very clever king who decided to stick a, a picture of a lion, which was the symbol for his particular uh, um, rulership, um, was that he decided to, to effectively mint those coins so that all of the money that existed was effectively his money. And so he could spend the money by giving it to people in exchange for services and goods and buying soldiers or whatever else, which was a genius idea. And strictly speaking, exactly what a crypto founder does when they issue a new coin. They effectively say, I've got these coins, and if they can convince somebody to part with their hard-earned actual cash for some of these token things, uh, then they get a lot of cash for it, and they get to uh, potentially uh, show what, what they'll be able to do. And a lot of them are not very good. But going back to the, the difference then and why the merge was needed uh, is because, as I was saying prior, uh, previously, all of this work, this massive energy consumption, was based on people trying to solve these math problems. Um, and, and the plan was to say, well, let's not make it based on solving math problems. Make it based on if you make a mistake, you will pay. You'll pay dearly. So let me give you this comparison. In the past, um, you can imagine that all of uh, the sort of mining that was done was done on the basis of if we had to write an exam, we sit for the exam and we fill in the exam. And uh, if, we, if we get it wrong, they'll say, show me all your workings. If you can show that all your workings is good, then I'll trust that you didn't cheat and, and, and that will be well done. But I've got to check all your work. He's going to make sure you fill in the entire paper. The other alternative was to say, give me 10,000 Rand to sit for this exam. And if I find any mistakes, I'm just going to randomly check. But if I find any mistakes, then I'm taking your 10,000 rand. Otherwise, I'm going to trust you filled it in, check that your answers were correct, and leave you on your way. I'm not going to check that you understood everything. I just want to see you gave me the right answers. And that's effectively what this new method is. It's called uh, proof of stake. And so for about a million rand, it, 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 it varies because it's 32F, the, uh, the specific uh, currency that's used in the Ethereum blockchain, uh, needs to be staked, in which case you give it to the Ethereum organization, uh, and it gets locked away. And for that, they will send you blocks occasionally, and you verify it, and and send it back and, and add it to the blockchain. So that's why they use so much more less electricity because you don't have to use a lot of computational work now to do this. You simply just go, yep, that is all good. Or you execute uh, the things that are included in that in that contract and then add it to the blockchain. And this is kind of where we are now. Now, individuals could say, well, I've got about a million rand. Why don't I just make money out of these cryptocurrencies? You're welcome. You start a node. Uh, you set yourself as a, as a proof of stake node and away you go. Some people are saying, well, I don't know how that works, but I've got a million rand. So they hand it over to somebody to do it on their behalf. And then they get sort of returned slowly over time. Uh, I haven't yet worked out 
uh, just how quickly or how long it'll take you to get a return on that. But the other version that's, that's proving to be quite popular is people are simply pooling their Ethereum money that they have and then collectively staking that and then off they go. The worry, if there is a worry, is that quite a lot of the proof of stake pools are made up of the actual cryptocurrency exchanges. Now, I don't want to cast any aspersion to say that the exchanges might be tempted to get their hands dirty with some things that are a little under, uh, you know, underhanded. Uh, but if they did, they're in a perfect position to be able to say, well, we've got, we've staked this money to say we're in for a million rand here. But if we put a couple of dodgy transactions in, we can make a whole lot more. And so this is why there's the long way to go with this industry. There's going to be a lot more water under the bridge, as it were, but a step in the right direction and a potentially another little feather in the cup for the Ethereum network, particularly uh, showing some more functionality and that now, a lot less energy consumption, which is a great thing. Astonishing. Thank you, Colin Cass. I think I understand it better. I hope you understand it better. Colin certainly understands this better than most.